Good morning. It's Monday, January 11th, 2021, day 10 of the Bible reading plan from Adventures in Odyssey and Focus on the Family. Today's passages are Psalm 119, verses 73 to 80, and Genesis chapters 1 and 2. For the psalm today, I had two notes that stood out to me, verses 74 and 79. Verse 74 says, May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. And verse 79 says, May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes. And these verses stood out to me because they reminded me that we are an example to others. And other people who are Christians, and even those who aren't, can look to us and see how we obey God's word. And that's a a good reason why we should practice what God commands us to do. More than just rely on his grace, we need to be following his commands because it comes across in our ministry. And it comes across in our discipleship of others, too. These two verses specifically refer to those who also are believers. In the Old Testament, those who... Um, were, I guess, were Jews, or those who feared the Lord. And then in the New Testament, we can see this verse translating to those uh, who are Christians as well. But like I said, we need to have that that, uh, appearance of us where people can turn to us and trust us because we fear God be something that anyone, not just those who believe in God, can come to, but especially those who believe in God because when they are facing hard times, they can turn to us because we are grounded in scripture and we know what God's commands are and what the truth is because we've studied it and because we have been mentored ourselves because we can eventually find the truth there are a lot I, I was reading in American history about or rather world history about Voltaire and he was uh, a man during the uh, the enlightenment enlightenment period who believed that there wasn't absolute truth and that anyone's truth was relevant or anyone's truth was relative to him and that's false Because there is an absolute truth that exists, but man possibly cannot find that absolute truth in himself. Only through God can we find what is absolutely true. And part of that absolute truth is the passage uh, from the rest of scripture today, Genesis 1, chapters 1 and 2. And these, this is the creation of the world. And I thought a lot about this this past semester because one of my professors and I were kind of in a, uh, a debate back and forth about, well, did God create the long expanse of time that evolutionists say he did, or did God create the world in seven literal days? I'm going to be coming at this from the literal days perspective. If that turns you off, feel free to turn this off. This is my audio journal anyway. I'm trying to hope that it's um, useful to those who listen. I don't want to offend anyone with my views, though. Um, but... In the beginning, God created time. And that's very important to this discussion and to understand predestination, which which we talked about previously in Romans 9 and Romans 8, that God foreknew everything that was going to happen when he created the world because he knew what our choices were. And if we chose to do this, God would know that. But if instead we chose to do that, God would know that as well. And yet, Knowing what would happen in the world, God created mankind and he created the earth because of the good that would come out of it and because he loves us. It's amazing to think about. It's, it's hard to, to imagine what God, uh, how, why he created the world and, and why he would uh, put himself on a, um, I guess, to have humanity. Why God would create humanity when he was already self-sufficient in the Trinity and the love they shared between each other and the three persons of God present at the beginning of time. Why would God bother to create the earth? 
And that's one of the wonderful things about his love is that he does. He does care about us. And though we can't fathom why he does, we know that he does. And that's that's incredible for me to think about. So the question uh, in reading through and listening to Andre Stoica's voice of read, reading each each day as God fashioned the earth and created the separated the waters, separated the dry land, the birds, the plants, um, and adding light light in the beginning. The question is: Are these literal days, or are they vast expanses of time? Well, the reason why somebody would think that they were large periods of time is because the scientific method and dating of rocks and of looking at the fossil record indicate that the earth is more than 6,000 years old. And so Christians have to rectify that to say, well, the 6,000 year history goes back to when Adam sinned and that point when he was banished from the garden. So if the earth is older than 6,000 years, then there must have been more time before then. And that time can only be fit into these days. This is an example of eisegesis, reading an interpretation into scripture rather than letting scripture speak for itself. Scripture does speak for itself. It says these were days. And if we're going to take scripture at face value, we need to understand that. But further than that, there is proof or there is a logical argument why these were days. And the reason for that is that the fossil record depends on death. Millions and billions of years of death and piling up of uh, organisms over time and evolutionists point to um, decay and the um, uh, survival of the fittest and that only those animals and organisms that are uh, evolved enough survive in the record. And although evolutionary fossils don't appear in the fossil record, still they, they say that's the way that that worked. But the reason this can't be before the animals were created, why there can't be millions of years, is because, again, the fossil record relies on there being that death. And so there can't be animals in the fossil record before the animals were created. So that record has to be after the animals were created. But additionally, it can't be after the animals were created. This would have been day six or day five, depending on what you consider to be which animals, like the fish and the birds on day five and then the animals on day six. So if the fossil record was generated after day six, then that doesn't make sense because evolution requires death. And it's a commonly uh, regarded aspect of scripture that there was not animal death before the fall. This is evident in that Adam was not given the animals to eat when he was in the garden. He was only given the plants. And biblical scholars that I have read and I have seen have all said there was not animal death before the fall. I don't know about insects and how the rest of that would work, work but you have to have millions of years of suffering and competition and sin nature present in animals for evolution to work and for millions of years and the evolutionary fossil record to work. So what is the answer then? Well, my interpretation of this, take this what you will, again, with a grain of salt, however you want to, is that when God created Adam, Adam was a fully grown man. If you were to quote unquote carbon date Adam or date him according to however, I mean, I mean, if, I mean, he was already married, so you wouldn't date him. But if you were to find out the age of Adam when Adam was created, Adam possibly would have been 30 years old, 40 years old. Who knows? But we know he wasn't a baby because he was functioning maturely and because we don't get any indication he was a baby. We get an indication he was a man. This is also evident in his naming the animals and his treatment of uh, Eve and of his maturity in that respect. We know he wasn't a baby. If you want to argue he was a baby... I don't know why you would, but the example here is that God created Adam when he was already 
this much old. So why couldn't God do that with the universe? And I believe he did. If God created light and created the stars, does that mean God created them and then had to wait for trillions of years or however long it would take for all the light from all of the stars to reach the earth? I don't think so. I don't think that I don't think that's the case. I think it's more probable that we can stick with what the Bible says about days and keep that interpretation of a 24-hour day and still say that when God spoke everything into existence, it appeared at the age that it was. So the earth appeared as if it had existed for a billion years or for billions of years. I need to study more what evolutionary scientists or what old age earth old old earth scientists actually say about the age of the earth, but that seems plausible to me. And it makes sense that if you were to study the earth, it would appear that it was that old. Just like man, Adam, appeared to be that old when he was created, and the animals as well, and the earth itself, then that's what I'm imagining with that. There's another interpretation that says that time was sped up at that moment, but then you run into the problem of what vantage point are you talking about a literal day? Because God doesn't view time in terms of days, so the day has to mean something, maybe earth time. Um, it gets confusing. That's my idea. If you have any other interpretations, feel free to leave me a comment and I can talk about it later. Um, and then God says uh, in verse 26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And I love this representation of the Trinity in the beginning where God is re- is talking to himself and talking to the other persons of the Trinity. It's so fascinating how the, the New Testament and the Old Testament fit together so well because they're true. And I, like in the last passage in Romans 9, I feel for the nation of Israel. I I hope that they will all come to know Christ because Christ is the Messiah they've been long waiting for. And then God makes woman um, out of the... um, out of the rib of Adam. Adam is put into a, a deep sleep because there was no helper found among the animals for him. And when Adam sees Eve, he doesn't treat her as lower than he is. He doesn't do anything in these passages that would put her down or treat her with disrespect. Rather, he loves Eve and he names her correctly as his helper and as someone who is taken from him. And there are a lot of feminists today or a lot of people in today's politics who would say, well, that the uh, the role of gender in today's society is always going to have women lower than men, to which I say, I don't understand why. I This is the beginning of gender, when God created man and woman and gave them their tasks and gave them their roles. And he gave Eve, the, he rather when they sinned, he cursed Eve with the pain in childbirth and Adam with the toiling uh to take care of the earth and and uh, and to work, and these these gender roles are described by God, whether they're good or not, whether they're a result of sin or not. These are in the Bible, and these are the gender roles that I imagine when I see man and woman. I don't imagine anything else that gender puts that the society puts on me in terms of gender or culture has has normed to be gender. I shouldn't rather. If I do, then that's a problem. I need to rely only on scripture and not on the culture. But in this moment, it's easy to think, well, uh, this is saying that men are better than women or in the Bible is sexist in that way. Uh, I don't think so. I think you, there is a way you can read it to say that men and women have different roles or rather the husband and the wife have different roles. This is specifically in the context of marriage. I don't think this should be imputed into the workplace or into larger society in, in general yet. I don't know. I'm not there yet. But for the marriage relationship, man and woman 
have different roles. And this is apparent from the beginning of scripture. And it's not that the woman will be suppressed or oppressed by her husband, but rather she will rejoice in her roles. So if you're, if there are people who are arguing that the Bible is limiting women's freedom, is that a problem? Are, are there, are there wives who are, are upset that the Bible says this about their role in marriage and man's role in marriage? It's not a lot to bear. It's a, it's quite a bit. And there's a, there's a bit in the new Testament about wives submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives. Again, there are a lot of people who are saying that husbands have the harder role here in loving their wives, whereas women only have to submit or only have to. Both should submit and both should love to a certain extent. But I um, I get a little bit irritated with some people. I'm not irritated right now. But in um, looking at the Bible and looking at Scripture and saying, well, that, that just says this, and diminishing the value of Scripture and the true meaning of it to um, just a couple phrases, or eisegesis and pulling, reading into the text what culture has said about men and women, rather using exegesis and reading out of the text what the truth is about man and woman. The final note in this chapter was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this was the beginning of sin, the beginning potential, and man had one command, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says both do not and there is a consequence to this. And man breaks that one command. And from that one command, we get a cascading list of commands from Exodus and the the rest of the Torah um, that describe what man can and cannot do because man now has the knowledge of good and evil and will use it accordingly, probably for evil because man is evil without God. And then in the New Testament, Jesus sums it up, sums up the law in one, two commands, love God and love mankind. And then he says, those two commands are what I call you to do as you repent and follow me and trust in me as your savior. I love it when other scholars are able to look at the Old Testament and specifically the creation story and relate it to the New Testament. That's what I'm echoing here. Um, The Bible is incredibly cohesive. Um, wonderful to study. And I'm, again, really, really glad that I'm going through this series or going through this these readings. I hope you're all doing well. I hope that if you have anything to pray for, then you've been praying. Um, I'm still praying every single day about the um, what I've been going through recently. And I will keep you updated if there are any developments with that. Um, again, uh, praise God for Emily Jones AIO and for her um, what was, uh, happening in her life that's now been answered and God has now provided for her. Um, and I hope you have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow.